0: the accurately titled Castle Bridge Monthly Podcasts. Uh, I'm Daryl O'Brien. I'm here with Catherine O'Keefe and Elaine Common from the team. Uh, say hello. 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 Um, once more with enthusiasm. Hello. hello. <laughs> um, we're, we, we're here today. Um, things we're going to talk about in today's podcast basically uh, centre around questions of data governance and the importance of DPIAs uh, in how we implement uh, systems that are processing data about people or might be processing data about people. Um, Now what a blatant plug we're tying this into our spring summer training catalog, public training course catalog that's rolling out at the moment. We have courses uh, running in April uh, which are directly relevant by some sheer coincidence to these topics. So it's topical, it's newsworthy. So let's start with uh, Facebook and their swipe left from the Data Protection Commissioner just before Valentine's Day. Um, Catherine, do you wanna?
1: Yeah, uh, happy belated Valentine's Day, everybody. Um, So Facebook uh, has recently rolled out a uh, dating function, you know, I suppose trying to compete with Tinder, probably Grindr as well, etc. in the US. uh, And uh, apparently quite uh, unceremoniously uh, informed the Data Protection Commission here in Ireland that they planned. Uh, to roll the same thing out in Europe uh, 10 days before they planned to launch it. Which, you know, when the Data Protection Commissioner then asked for the background paperwork showing that they had done their due diligence, for instance, a Data Protection Impact Assessment, there appears to have been a little bit of uh, difficulty coming up with the documentation that they had done due diligence.
0: I think this is a... There's a couple of aspects to this. Uh, First of all, there's the question of what what data is Facebook using as part of this dating app. And and a bit of I did a bit of research because I was talking to Irish media about this, and they're basically it's a standalone app, which is fantastic. Um, But that app is pulling data from your profile and from the profiles of other users of the app within a 100 mile radius, which in Irish terms is basically reaching out to your third or fourth cousin, uh, down in Termin Fecken. But it's pulling all the information you have in your profile and all the information Facebook knows about you through your use of Facebook, through what you like, what you share, and how you interact with the platform. And let's not forget that Facebook also has information about what you look at on other sites as well, uh, if they have Facebook plugins installed on them or if you're using Facebook as your means of logging into a a third-party service. Pro tip, never use Facebook as your means of logging into a third-party service. So that gives Facebook a fantastic amount of data to do uh, analytics and algorithms, pro, uh, algorithmic profiling to find perfect matches linking the genuine you to the genuine other within a 100 mile radius and purely on a consensual basis, obviously. Um, so with something like this, you would have expected, given it's a high profile product, processing special category data, data related to sexual orientation being the, 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 the most obvious one, that Facebook would have turned up to the Data Protection Commission with their homework done and ready, but they didn't. To put it another way, an organization that is currently subject to multiple investigations by a regulator turned up talking about a thing that was doubtless going to be controversial, but didn't have their homework with them.
2: This strikes me um, as an <clears throat> almost cynical move by Facebook. This is an organization, in my opinion, that really doesn't care uh, whether the DPC has issues with this documentation or the lack of documentation. I think the fact that they've withdrawn the service um, is is again another cynical move where they could say we will actually we have engaged and we do care about privacy. Um, and 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 by, by virtue of the fact of suspending the service, they're they kind of saying aren't we great and and we're we're now being very respectful. But I personally find it a, a very cynical move.
0: They turned up all hat and no trousers. Let's not put a f- too fine a point on it. There is another um, term, but we won't use that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the key shock, the big shift that we saw happen was the Data Protection Commission uh, historically uh, has uh, been open to dialogue and conversation and discussion with data controllers. Uh, in this circumstance, they sent authorised officers down to request access to documentation straight away uh, and to go and seize and inspect documentation uh, in, in Facebook's offices. Now, this is an interesting power. It's not a new power, it's a power they had under the old legislation as well in Ireland. Um,
1: they have been generally very judicious in using it. Uh, the DPC has in Ireland uh, tended to use a more amicable resolution style of trying to get people to do the right thing without uh, being too overbearing while still having that power uh, and keeping it in reserve for when it will be most effective. I think now it has to be used to be effective. So the so I'll, the last I heard
2: of this really was Thursday, uh, on the morning that it happened. That the the DBC had already engaged with them and were awaiting further documentation or further. Mm-hmm. Um, information from Facebook. It's now Tuesday morning. I don't know if that, that's that been received yet. or Are they still, we, are they still waiting?
0: We don't know. Uh, and again, um, I'm, I'm always wary. In, in Ireland, we have had a historical precedent of politicians standing up in our parliament and jeopardizing criminal prosecutions by speaking out of turn. So again, when we're talking about these cases, I'm always conscious of that um, we don't want to jeopardize a situation where the DPC may be Uh, gearing up to swing at something of of significant value. Uh, We don't want to create a a hostage to fortune where someone might be able to argue that the enforcement action was prejudged or prejudiced in any way by comment in the media. Uh, We have seen that in the UK ironically in relation to uh, the ICO's uh, enforcement action against Facebook where they did have to reach an amicable settlement because someone went on the news and spoke out of turn Mm. and that was the commissioner in the UK. But the key shift here is that the DPC is is using these powers. They seem to be uh, less willing at this point to uh, take um, delay. And it's very clear that if you're gonna go to the commissioner with something, uh, if you are going to mention something you were doing, um, if you were required to have done certain things before you deploy that thing, before you launch that product, launch that service, you need to have your homework ready and you need to be able to produce it in a timely manner. Um, Also, you need to be able to describe it correctly in your press release. It is not a data processing assessment, it is a data protection impact assessment. Um, The other thing to point out for for anyone listening to this podcast, that power of entry that the DPC has under Section 130 of the Act, includes power of entry into private residences as well. And that power also exists under SI 336. So the DPC can enter any premises where they have reason to believe processing of personal data is occurring Um, in the context of private residences they will probably turn up with a search warrant on the guards but if the dpc comes onto your premises in a dawn raid they can talk to anyone they can look at anything they can ask for any documentation or copies of documentation and take it away with them it's a very very serious power they have and when they use it it's usually a sign that someone's failed the attitude test or the DPC is very concerned that there's something untoward happening. But that brings us on to the children's hospital. I love the children's hospital. It's a fantastic thing. It's the most expensive hospital in the world. In fairness to Ireland, when we do things, we do things well, we're really competitive. We're gonna build the most expensive hospital in the world in arguably the wrong place.
2: We should have asked the Chinese, they would have it built in 10 days.
0: And we probably would have gotten the cameras for free, but that's the, the key issue with the Children's Hospital. Massive cost overruns, and somewhere within that budget, we've identified a story that Catherine, you were involved in breaking back in November, as I recall.
1: Yeah, it's a while ago now. Um, yeah, so basically an industry blog back that at that point uh, contacted me asking for expert opinion on uh, the... Uh, FOI that they'd uh, found information on the use uh, and, uh, uh, I guess, uh, contracting for a number of very, very specific uh, facial recognition cameras. Uh, Highest cost possible, uh, incredibly high spec, very specifically for facial recognition.
0: That was a security industry blog, a security camera blog. They they knew what those cameras were when they saw them on the spec sheet and they got worried.
1: Yeah, basically, the uh, industry experts in uh, uh, video surveillance went, Why are they putting this into a hospital? Let's talk to some data protection people.
0: So that story has rolled on. um, With an election, it's kind of dropped off the the radar a little bit. Uh, We have an election here in Ireland. This whole thing they talk about election data quality, that's another story. Um, But Basically, the justification that was put forward uh, by the Department of Health for these high-definition cameras, these facial recognition cameras, was they were there in case people in case people would steal children. Um, which, coincidentally, is exactly the reason the Chinese government claims they have for deploying these cameras in public places in China. Uh, there apparently is a raft of child theft.
1: It's the fairies.
0: Yeah, it's always the fairies, Catherine. This is Ireland. Everything yes, is I know, but you
1: might as well you do the tr- traditional route and boil eggshells to figure out whether you've got a changeling. It'll be just as effective.
0: And this is the value Castlebridge brings. Having an expert on, on, on uh, Irish fairy tales on the team um, really helps us understand the true cultural value of privacy impact assessments to organisations. And again, eggshells, they're
1: cheaper than cameras. Hell a lot cheaper than cameras.
0: Uh, And and the key thing is probably as effective as well because a facial recognition camera system requires you to have a data set that you can reference against. So the key question that I will be asking the Department of Health and the National Children's Hospital is, nice cameras, where's your reference database?
2: How many children have been stolen? That's the other question.
0: Uh, How many children have been stolen? Apparently it's zero um, or a number close to that. Mm -hmm. And again, what other controls could you implement in in a hospital environment to improve the security of children and to improve the security of the hospital without needing to have a highly invasive uh, facial recognition camera system, bearing mind, the European Commission is now talking about banning facial recognition for a period of time, until we can figure out how to use it properly.
2: And it's funny funny that the the National Maternity Hospitals haven't jumped on board at this because people do steal babies, um, but they don't feel the need to have facial recognition in, in, in any of our maternity hospitals here in Dublin
1: anyway. Don't give them ideas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the key thing is uh, it, it's easy it's to carry... It's baby knickers. It, it, it's the, it, again, it, it's, it's that character from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. We have to hold that account. That, the, the character of the child catcher must be held accountable at all times. But that process fell down because a privacy impact assessment wasn't done prior to procurement. Again, this is something that we encounter a lot with clients, a lot with public sector organizations. The question is when do you do a privacy impact assessment? Now last year I had a masterclass with Public Affairs Ireland on data protection and procurement. And one of the key points I made during that masterclass was, one of the outputs of a high level DPIA is the spec for the thing you are procuring. It's the thing that says, this is what we want to buy, This is what we don't want to buy. These are things that are nice to have if we can get them, but they're not essential. And these are things that we really don't need to have. Therefore, we're not going to pay for them if you put them into the spec. And if you get your spec right through procurement, you identify, well, do we need to have facial recognition cameras? That raises the question, what other things need to be bought to make that work? and what other privacy implications what other impacts from a, an operational perspective on your project do you need to consider in that regard so dpias early on from a procurement point of view can help save time save money and save you having to explain why you are putting in place systems which you don't have the necessary paperwork to back up the implementation of bear in mind the link here Is the National Children's Hospital did not have a DPIA for the deployment of facial recognition cameras. When they were asked, they didn't have a reason. They fumbled around for a while and came up with child child catchers. Mm -hmm. Facebook, when they were asked for the DPIA, apparently did not have one to hand in a timely manner.
1: And this is where we get into discussing the fact that this is not just a data protection issue, this is a data governance issue. Uh, when I first joined Castlebridge mumble years ago, uh, one of the things that Dara introduced me to when talking about data governance was a Morecambe and Wise sketch, uh, in which uh, uh, one of the characters... The 1976
0: Christmas special starring Andre Preview.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. it's a piano sketch and you keep on hearing uh, lots and lots of uh, discord and music you wouldn't necessarily want to continue to hear. And uh, in response to the you're playing the wrong notes, uh, the answer was, no, I'm playing all the right notes, just not necessarily in the right order. Okay. Now, data governance as Dara taught me at that time, is making sure that you not only play the right notes, but you're playing them in the right order. So when do you need to do a DPIA? That is something that your governance should have uh, clarified. It needs to be done early on in the process so that you have the proper dependencies to know what you need to do and when you need to do it, what data you need, what you need to procure, what, as he said, your specs are. Yeah. It's thinking about you know what is necessary
2: and proportionate, and exactly. it's it's overly, overly used. But in the in the case of the, the the National Children's Hospital, what the upshot of not having done this DPIA is that they now have all of this really expensive kit that the DPC now know is there, so they may not ever use it, and therefore it'll be go down the route of the voting machines. It'll be sitting in storage, massive for, cost to, of taxpayer, the massive cost. <laughs> yeah. um, so that that needs to be th- th- thought about as well, you know, what are the consequences, and is it necessary in proportion mm-hmm. when you're thinking about
0: and, it. And just to pick up on Catherine's point about data governance being about playing the right notes in the right order, it's also about playing the right notes in the right order in the right context. the The analogy I draw here would be you don't really want to be playing the theme tune from Jaws at a children's swimming gala.
1: Not that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <know> what actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it, that would just be hilarious but not for the children who are nervous swimmers and not for the parents who might be nervous around the water again that wonderful wonderful emotive music might be the wrong thing to play um so again daily government's about putting the as you said elaine the right things in the right the right way at the right time for the right reasons and I suspect what's going to happen at the National Children's Hospital is that the cameras will be installed and there will be a big red button on the wall saying do not press this button facial recognition system
2: because I think one of their responses was oh yeah it, the software is there but we're not going to turn it on yep, yep. so <laughs> why have it there
0: the fundamental rule of human behavior is once a thing exists, no matter how many times yeah. people say it won't be used, it will be used. Of course it will. Uh, and it may be used for all the right reasons at that time. And that's one of the difficulties with these issues, is that once you create the capability, yes, people will identify ways of using it, but without investment in the appropriate controls, without designing the controls in from a data governance point of view at the beginning, you run the risk of a free-for-all.
2: Public services card.
0: Public Services Card, good example. Um, It's almost like we planned this. We so didn't plan this. Um, The Public Service Card is a good example of scope creep. And the DPC pointed this out in their findings um, in their investigation last August. That the original idea for the Public Service Card may have merit. But the way that its scope of use has expanded without the appropriate safeguards and controls necessarily being put in place, was the issue the Data Protection Commissioner was raising in their investigation. Catherine? You
1: have no comment on That's <laughs> pretty much it.
0: <laughs> um, and that's the thing. There is no comment on yeah, a public service card. Uh, it is interesting, though, that in the last few weeks... Um, on the 10th of February, the Department of Social Protection published an updated privacy statement that, for eagle-eyed readers who who still have a copy of their data protection statement from June 2018, will see that there's actually Both very, few, very little difference between them. And a lot of the changes that were made were around accepting some of the Data Protection Commissioner's criticisms and findings in the DPC's invest- investigation into public service card. Specifically, the findings in relation to transparency and... The findings and the, the, the fact that a recognition that there is biometric data being processed by the department now one so- of
1: the interesting things there however is that while the privacy statement uh revised and published on the website officially uh as as dar said recognizes the findings in the report and uh is clearly a lot more accurate because of that the press office in response to uh, journalist queries about the change to the uh, privacy statement uh, went back on the uh, same party line that uh, the, the biometric processing of data that we're doing is not biometric data uh, and again there is a serious um, breakdown in communication somewhere in that department because there are clearly people who are not only trying to do it correctly but are trying to very clearly communicate as they should in order to be compliant. That is not being done by the press office. But my understanding is in the department
2: that the biometric software is there but guess what? It's not being used so therefore we're not processing it.
0: Well, that, that's one argument that, that appears to be put forward in the past, but what is happening is they're creating a digital uh, numerical template, they call it, uh, based off the photograph that is taken when you apply for your public service card. Now, the definition of biometrics in the GDPR is data that is generated for the purposes of uniquely identifying an individual from measurements of aspects of the person. Uh, so, the way that biometric signature, that, that numeric template has been created is, it, it as with most facial biometrics, it's things like the distance between your eyes, the length of your face, the, 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 the proportion of your nose, things like that, which create a signature for you.
2: So, the Department of Social Welfare is act, or Department of Social Protection, have actually defined biometric data measuring quite accurately.
0: Or inaccurately. Uh, well, both. Well, they,
1: they, they've so they've used so many different definitions of biometric, And what they're doing and what they're not doing, that it's ridiculous. Uh, At one point, I think it was uh, August 2018 at this point, uh, they were just going, software, photographs on Twitter. And it made no sense. But yes, basically what what they describe what they're doing uh, is by legal definition in GDPR processing of biometric data. And again, they're saying, oh, we don't have biometric software. We don't have special biometric hardware. It doesn't matter. GDPR, data protection, is technology neutral. It's what you're doing with the data. But that's
2: the bizarre thing, because I read they did have the software, and it just wasn't trying to. So depending on what have you who you exactly read, that. it doesn't matter. So is, is, basically, we're none the wiser.
0: And this isn't unique to the Department of Social Protection, and fairness. Uh, I've dealt with um, clients of ours and, and queries at, at events where people are implementing Uh, biometric fingerprint readers uh, for time clocking, and they're being told by their suppliers that they're not biometric because they don't keep a copy of the fingerprint, they just keep a numeric signature derived from the fingerprint. That uniquely identifies the person. Now again,
1: to be clear, by definition in GDPR, both the fingerprint and the biometric uh, signature or template are considered to be biometric data.
0: Uh, and what we have ultimately with, with the public service card and with that change to the privacy statement and the response from the press office is a good example of, again, a breakdown of data governance, a breakdown in clear lines of who is actually the person who is to, who is entitled to speak and to define mm-hmm. what those things are in the organization. I think this
2: could be, this could be a subject for another day's chat because, mm-hmm. the, the, and, and again, we find it all the time with clients, is that... People write their privacy policy and go, oh, great, that's, grand, that's done, that's sorted. But nobody's actually doing the do. No one's putting it into practice. You know, they're say, People are saying things in their privacy policy, but the actual reality is something completely different. And that's going to come back and bite them in the ass at some point. Uh, there's no Absolutely. point in just writing a privacy policy for the sake of it, unless you're actually going to implement it.
1: And, right. and also that clarity of communication around definitions. That's a data governance thing. Making sure you have clear uh, business glossary with understandable definitions that everybody uses, so they know what. Business glossaries
2: are as rare as hen's teeth, and I'm constantly surprised at how rare they are because they are such useful things. Um, It it makes it's a no brainer to actually have one in your organization.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bit like trying to travel across uh, a number of European countries without a Berlitz phrasebook in your back pocket or a babel or a babel fish in, or your, or a babel ear. Fish in your ear uh, for that matter um the, the key issue with all of these then is it comes down to uh prior planning prevents uh weak performance when you are standing in front of the regulator uh having your dpia done having a dpa done reasonably well and one of the interesting point, going back to the Facebook story for a moment, is the DPC was also looking for any documentation of decision-making in relation to the processing, which w- would suggest to me that they were also looking for any documentation relating to the decision not to do DPIA, um, given the nature of the data. So-
1: can we may be speculating here because we're not in the room and uh, we don't know for sure what is being looked at by the DPC and what Facebook's response is so we're going to be careful in our speculation
0: We are going to be very careful in our speculation, but but I, I'm cynical and I've seen some stuff in my career So I'm just making an, an informed guess of a scenario that might happen But might not might not actually be the scenario that is actually happening
2: well, what might be interesting to see is if they have done their DPIA and following their risk analysis uh, as part of the DPIA, that they actually said, right, we've we've done all this process, and you know what, we're going to have to contact the, the DPC, because that's part of the process. If you find that the, the risks outweigh uh, the rights and freedoms, then you should refer to your, your authority. Yeah, that is and something
1: that I would have expected to see. Mm-hmm. It's something that we've done with clients in the past, where uh, it came to uh, the creation of an app that was merging uh, various publicly available and given by consent data uh, in order to uh, do something quite simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we looked at it and we went, despite the fact that the intent of this app is quite useful and they're not intending to do anything dangerous with it, this actually creates quite a high risk. And so again, this is before GDPR, uh, but it was still something that you did under the data protection directive, the old data protection acts. Uh, we went for prior consultation to the Data Protection Commission and what they said at that point was we want to see more. Uh, We went back and forth with them for quite a bit and the uh, upshot of the back and forth was you know what this is actually too risky for the benefit we're not going to
0: go and, ahead. and, and that was the client's decision not the DPC's yeah. decision
1: and, and actually then that, that showed
2: like if you want to be speculative about it and i'm being purely speculative here is that that's why it was so late in coming to the dpcs that the the the, the folks uh, in facebook maybe decided to do dpia after the fact I think that's kind
0: of obvious. Elaine can see my face here, so she knows that I may not necessarily be agreeing with that version of events. (laughs) Um, The key upshot here is that this wasn't a prior consultation process. My understanding is that this was an announcement to the DPC that a thing was happening, and then the DPC asked for the paperwork that should have been sitting behind that thing. Yeah. you don't always have to do prior consultation And on Facebook's defence. This may be a situation where they have all the necessary mitigation. Hang on a did I just say in Facebook's defence? <laughs> Whoa! That must have been a really, really, really good bottle of wine I had at the weekend. Uh, but in Facebook's defence, they might, have, necess- they might need, have needed to do prior consultation. They may have all the necessary mitigations for all the high-level risks mm. and all the high risks of fundamental rights and freedoms that might exi- arise from the type of processing they're doing. However, if they had done that, one would have expected them to have it in their back pocket when they went to see the commissioner.
1: And here's where my my cynicism comes into place, because uh, I have not seen evidence in any of their other other products that they have actually considered putting in appropriate risk mitigations for fundamental rights and freedoms.
0: Well, there's a clanger. Um, (laughs) So... To close out then, we've talked about data governance, we've talked about DPIAs, we talked a little bit about the ethical issues of data and that idea of, of doing, doing DPIAs that don't necessarily put in place appropriate mitigations uh, for impacts and rights and freedoms. Catherine, tell everyone about our training courses in April.
1: Right, so uh, strangely enough one of the training courses that we are definitely going to be running in April is uh, running data protection impact assessments. Uh, we are running uh, two half-day courses uh, one is Data and Impact Assessments and the other is uh, Data Ethics 101 because, again, when we're looking at the fundamental issues here, we are looking at questions of ethics when it comes to processing data. So we do consider that very important. We'd like to have people there in the class with us so we can talk about this. Uh, we're also running a one-day course on data governance. So uh, have a look at our website. We've got the dates and times up there.
0: Yep, and if anyone is doing the, the, the DPAA course and the Data Ethics course are two half days running on the same day. If you book for one, you will get a discount code for the second, so you can do a full day's training with us uh, on those two topics. And the super early word offer for anyone who's attending the Data Ethics course is that there will be uh, free copies of the book Catherine and I wrote uh, on uh, Ethical Information Management. Uh, it came out two years ago. Um, Time flies. Yeah, time time flies when you're traumatized from dealing with your editor. Um, But the key thing, that book looks at how you operationalize this. Going back to Elaine's point earlier on about it's all well and good to have principles, but is the rubber hitting the road? One of the things we will talk about in the ethics course and uh, in the data governance course is on the the, the hierarchy of governance uh, and where you need to be showing where the rubber hits the road and what that means in the context of well-governed ethical information management and good data governance. Uh, the data governance course is a full day course so you get to hear us um going through a lot of content relatively quickly uh, but again it's a one-on-one basics course for people who want to get their heads around what data governance actually is not what uh people who are new to the field or who are coming out with this new thing because we're seeing the pivot away from let's talk about gdp or because everyone's done GDPR, because it's all done and dusted and a puppy is just for christmas <laughs> not just for life um so we got this. We, that's where the train. We have the training course there to help provide good grounding on fundamental principles uh, to help your programs and your organizations move forward. So, then, anything else start at this stage?
2: No, I was just thinking about uh, DPA's and the, the you know the necessity of them. Do it for. Um, the right reasons, Do if you are in any doubt, and I'm talking to Facebook here, if you're in any doubt whatsoever about the risks involved in your processing of data, ask, ask the DPC, that's what they're there for. They're there for guidance, um, and they're there to to help you get whatever pro- project or product or service uh, required, launched and out there, uh, with the minimal risks to the rights and freedoms of individuals. DPAs are also, useful from a from a financial and IT perspective. It's not just about personal data. What we found when you do DPIA is you find all sorts of skeletons in the closets and, you know, change down by the back of the couch that will affect how your business or how your organization is run. So they're actually really useful tools for data governance, not just, you know, to tick a GDPR box. Um, they're better than that and they deserve the respect.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the key things we've seen doing reviews of DPIAs for clients. A tick box approach is not the way. This is it. This needs to be a deep review, uh, and, and needs to be proportionate to the level of risk in the processing of data. Uh, but as Elaine said, you're going to find out, we, we always find stuff in organisations where things mightn't be working the way people thought they were working, or they're making assumptions about the benefit. And that's why a good structured DPA methodology is important, uh, particularly one that can scale from diff- from different sizes of project and different complexities of project, but follow it the same process uh, fundamentally. That's one. That, that's what we're going to be covering on the uh, the DPA course on the twenty second of April. Also, uh,
1: we'll do a uh, short webinar sometime in March, I believe, because uh, one of the things that we've noticed recently is a lot of people don't actually know, not only they don't, don't, they don't have a methodology to do a DPIA properly, but they don't even know what a DPIA is. Mm. So, uh, you know, make sure that what you're doing Is actually a data protection impact assessment. What's required at the very high level is listed in the legislation of GDPR but uh, we've seen a good bit of confusion between uh, data protection impact assessment, audit, uh, gap analyses uh, and what's actually required to be there.
0: So that's a webinar that we're going to be doing in March on top of our training in April. Uh, and again, that's going to be uh, helping people understand the difference between the different tools. But going back to um, the the fundamentals, um, as Elaine said, the DPC is there to help, but well, the Facebook, the Facebook case should be a, a warning to us all that if you go to the DPC who are very busy, who are under-resourced, you had better turn up with your homework done. Otherwise, you're wasting their time you're wasting your time and you're diverting resources, their resources away from other things that might be more important or more valuable. The better prepared you are when you go to the DPC for a prior consultation or to ask a question, the happier they will be dealing with you and the more likely you are to get an answer that will work for you. But if you turn up, all hat and no trousers, they'll send the boys around.
1: So do your homework, put your hand up when you're not sure.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Catherine and Elaine. We're going to call it it now uh, and wrap this podcast up. Uh, The next podcast is out in March. We have a webinar in March and training in April. Check castlebridge.e for details of all of those.